Dotnet Rocks episode 860 with guest David Pitcher. Recorded live Friday, March 15th, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Teller, offering the best in developer tools and support. And by Franklin's.net, makers of Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And by Diatom, developers of the .NET Rocks mobile app, available now for Windows Phone 7, iPhone, and Android Phone. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thanks very much. We're back. It's Carl. It's Richard. It's .NET. Hey, man, what's up? It's Christmas time here. I just got a box. I don't know if I already told you this, but I had a problem with my network. You know, we've got triply redundant internet coming into the house. Who doesn't? Well, duh. (laughs) And so uh, I was having internet performance problems, which is crazy. We've got a ton of bandwidth here, and it was unstable and and failing here and there. And uh, did some analysis and figured out that... The uh, the ISPs have actually upped our feed, and it was hitting a point where it was overflowing the router. So I have this. Uh, um, they, it's actually a Cisco RV sixteen mm-hmm. uh, that handles multiple uh, WANs and does all the rules for what traffic goes where. And it was now so busy that it was crashing it every three or four minutes. Wow. Which is bad. Yeah, I think you mentioned that on a previous show. Yeah. So uh, what had just arrived is the replacement unit, which is a Netgear unit that's got gigabit speeds and a bigger buffer and can uh, handle the, the traffic level. Uh, 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 uh. So yeah, and I guess this weekend I'm going to be installing some network gear and disrupting my connection. And then maybe I can even turn the speed up higher because let's face it. There's no such thing as too much internet. And as I said before, speaking of old gear, at Dev Intersection, we're going to have a nostalgia room. Yes. So this is a conference that Richard and I are uh, involved with. Uh, It's the same old people you know and love, but uh, it's going to be in Vegas on April 8th. And and Infragistics is sponsoring this room. We're going to have a TRS-80, an Apple II, a Commodore 64, like old school. It'll be fun couple other things that are going on at Dev Intersection. There's another conference beside us, which is, you know, run it part of it. The same ticket, you can get access to both. It's called Angle Brackets. Yeah. And it is, uh, Scott Hanselman is uh, the sort of key person there and totally focused on open web. So folks like Lee Veroux and John Snook, folks we've had on the show before, mm-hmm. just really focused on the, on web related stuff and just the approach of, of doing web the right way. Uh, and uh, it turns out we're going to have the very first humanitarian toolbox hackathon That's at great. Dev Intersection. This is uh, something that Richard and I got into on the road trip. Is the goo going to be there? Uh, it turns out the goo is not going to be there. He has another commitment. So uh, Jason Zander is taking his place as the uh, keynote speaker. But mm-hmm. uh, Scott Hansman will be there. Scott Hunter will be there. So we've got two of the three Scots. <laughs> the Scott Brigade. Yeah, as well as an, you know, our, our usual array of awesome speakers. Just a great set of topics. All right. Uh, I'm really happy with the set we've got here. It's very so, cool. Uh, devintersection.com or anglebrackets.org. Your ticket works for both places. And if you sign up for workshop as well, you get a Surface RT with your package. Very cool. Uh, it's time for Better No Framework. All right, buddy, what do you got? I'm going old school, oh. and I'm going instrumentation. Oh, nice. Tinyurl.com slash perf counters. Oh, good for you, man. 
performance counter class from system.diagnostics. And you, this is the kind of stuff we forget is in the .NET framework. But yeah. all of the all the counters that you can monitor with Perfmon are accessible through the performance counter class. So you can, uh, you know, up a counter, you can set it, you can read it. Um, it's just a, a very cool thing to do in your app for instrumentation. Yeah, you can build it in yourself. Yeah. It's, it's certainly uh, worthwhile if you want to have your app articulate in what it impact it's having on performance. That's uh, the way to go. Uh, you know, when I put on my IT hat, we do this externally rather than in the app. Yeah. But, uh, you know, as I'm doing more DevOps-related talks and drilling into the DevOps movement, I'm thinking more and more about how developers could be providing this information as part of the app to operations people. Well, they're the ones who have the data, usually. Right. So, well, I just think the, we now could have the app showing, I see this too. Right. Like that's right. why when you start seeing these guys work closer together, you start seeing features being added to software to help uh, the operators understand what's going on. Very good. So there you go. Uh, tinyworld.com slash perf counters. Know it, learn it, love it. Richard, who's talking to us? That's a big pile of awesome there, sir. Thank you. Uh, show number 830, the one we did on the road trip with Brian Randall, where we talked about DevOps on the Microsoft stack. Because, you know, DevOps has really come out of the open source community, but it's clearly arriving on the Microsoft side as well. And certainly this show, too, is going to get into that. Uh, and Martin Yeager wrote this comment. He says, uh, talking about profiling of applications, I have some experience working with a product called Dynatrace, which is also a profile for .NET and Java. What's really cool about Dynatrace is a thing they call PurePath. It's basically a way to trace a call going through a distributed system from the client all the way to the app tier of the database. Yeah. And what you end up with is a call stack that spans multiple services in the apps. The magic happens by having agents on all the services and clients that are low level. They can tag TCP IP packets and make it possible to do a collector server to correlate all calls assembled in PurePath. It has a bunch of other features you'd expect from a profiler, but PurePath is the one that gets me really excited, and I encourage you to check it out. Uh, Dynatrace, by the way, is a product I am familiar with. Uh, it is far from a free product. Mm. This is not, not an inexpensive. You're talking $10,000 a seat for, per developer. Mm. Uh, so yeah, pricey product, uh, made by CompuWare, but they do have a free product that I recommend to folks all the time. When I was back in the old days, when I still did scaling talks, you mm -hmm. know, a couple of months ago, <laughs> uh, one of the products I would recommend is made by CompuWare. It's called Dynatrace Ajax Edition. Totally free, community-supported product, and it's about instrumenting at the Ajax level. So uh, I absolutely encourage you to check it out. I'll include the links in the show, but it's called Dynatrace Ajax Edition, and you should see it. It's great. Very cool. Another know it, learn it, love it. Yeah, there you go. And hey, Martin, thanks so much for your comment. I'm a big fan of Dynatrace, too. It's an awesome product, and I'll uh, send you a .NET Rocks bug. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, you write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or write a comment through the .NET Rocks mobile app for iPhone, Android, and WinPhone built by our good friends at Diatom Enterprises. Absolutely. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online with hundreds of hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts, releasing 12 to 15 new courses a month and offering a free 10-day trial or 200 minutes. Pluralsight offers a wide range of developer training, including coverage of iOS, Java, Android, web development, pretty much anything, everything Microsoft, including several courses on web performance. Speaking of web scaling, Richard Campbell, try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. 
And now let us introduce our guest, David Pitcher. He's a senior software engineer and automation architect for Corporate Functions IT, currently responsible for the management of automation infrastructure and growing organizational engineering maturity for over 150 of the company's financial, HR, and legal applications. David is also responsible for the development of best practices and prescriptive guidance that enables engineering teams to optimize build, deployment, instrumentation, and monitoring of business apps. Welcome, David. Hi, how are you? Fantastic. We uh, we have a case study here, do we not, Richard Campbell? Well, absolutely, sir. I know uh, the listeners have been asking for case studies, so I've been hunting them down, and this is an awesome one, but I think we should probably give uh, David his head here to talk about the product. All right, so th- this particular case study was actually using preemptive analytics to enable instrumentation on a phone, Windows 8 phone application that is used by uh, internal IT staff on an ITSM application or service management application. So this the, the people using this is all of our internal support engineers. Hmm. So they, we need to get them information about the behavior of the application and they need to be able to respond to incidences in a very timely manner. So this is tech support inside of Microsoft, so Microsoft employees calling for help? Yes, it is. Or even automated incidences or items that are uh, put into a help queue or incident queue. Okay, and so what does the phone app do? The phone app allows the top-tier service-level managers see incidences as they come into queue or assigned to them and be able to start responding to them. We can see um, incidences that are a critical, um, uh, medium level, and at a low level. So run us through a typical scenario of how the, the process works. So typically, uh, today or before this, the service engineers were pretty much bound to a desk and or a pager. Now with a mobile app, they are able to actually move around, relocate, visit um, their directs, their people that are working for them, and get a immediate visibility to how the incidences coming into the system are being managed and closed, plus incidences that are assigned to them for actual resolution without being tied to a physical desk and stuck into the the incident management tool itself. So you were you said you were using preemptives tools, the analytics tools? Yes, we're using preemptive analytics to actually generate the instrumentation. Mm-hmm. After the code is built, right, to enable incidences or visibility to problems in the application itself. So this is something that you know we've talked about a little bit on the show, um, but it's we talk about it a lot on the road trip, Richard. But maybe it's worth just stepping back a little and talking about how that works and and really how cool it is. So let's just do a little bit of a description of how analytics works. Sure, preemptive analytics enables instrumentation of applications. In this case, we instrumented a mobile application after it was developed. Mm -hmm. It injected information that allowed us to send whenever an exception or an application error occurs into a central repository. Okay. Now, do you have to do any specific error handling or use an API or whatever to generate those uh, that instrumentation? No specific error handling. Uh, If you're following best engineering practices, it's picking up all those unhandled exceptions or other handled exceptions. You tell it what to collect. Mm -hmm. 
and it's outside of the actual engineering team itself. So oh. we don't put a burden on them. Right. So so you you basically just compile your app without any specific code in there for instrumentation, and the analytics stuff attaches itself outside of the assembly? Is that how it works? It actually scans the assembly and gives you the information, and you choose what you want to instrument in that assembly, and then it repackages that assembly up. Awesome. So there's no standalone additional DLL or anything else that has to ship for the application. It's all encompassed in within that assembly or the application itself. Right. Okay. So so that phones home to some service, I suppose, right? Correct. So as errors happen that we're actually monitoring, that sends it to a, a another tier repository. And there's a lot of flexibility on that repository. For us, we're actually using a IaaS VM environment in Azure. Okay. And once that's collected there, we have an on-premise within the Microsoft corporate domain, private, not connected to the Internet, going out to that uh, repository and pulling that information back down, aggregating it and storing it in Visual Studio Team Foundation as active work items that the engineering team gets visibility to wow. and can quickly respond to any issues of the application. So I call it as closing the loop. I guess that process has to do with, you know, um, one of the problems that I've had in, in this kind of instrumentation is, you know, you have a bug, you might have it in a loop, you know, hundreds of maybe thousands of times. So when you see repeats, you know, you don't want to be sending text messages to a mobile device. Ask ask Richard how he knows about that. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I guess you take care of that at the service level, or does preemptive actually take some uh, efforts to prevent that from happening? Preemptive does all that work for Oh, really? So it's smart enough to actually detect the differences in users or the types of exceptions and aggregate those up into one single entity. Nice. And it tracks that. So we have one work item for an exception, and it tells us how many times it's occurred and how many devices it's occurred on. Mm. So we can tell if we've got five people out using the application, if it's happening on one device or five devices. Mm -hmm. And are, is everybody carrying a Windows phone? Is everybody carrying a Windows phone? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, it is Microsoft after all, so. <laughs> That's right. Uh and so you're actually able to deploy this right onto the phone. The phone itself is sending back the messages to the uh, uh, with the issues it's having with the software. Correct. And that was one of the bigger challenges. As we move more into a devices world, we're losing connectivity. We're going back to the old computing model of client-server. So how do you get what behaviors are happening on a client? Or in this case, it happens to be a mobile phone. Right. And getting information and visibility to what's happening there. Yeah, it's essential to be right on the phone. I guess that's where the problems lie. Uh, there's something very recursive about this particular scenario that you've built an app to deal with technical issues. And now we're talking about how you deal with the technical issues of that app. Correct. <laughs> so, <laughs> they're, they're, so I want to try and not confuse myself, much less anybody else, as we sort of think through this. All right, should we tell the joke? You look up recursion in the dictionary, what do you see? Recursion. Yes. See recursion. See, see recursion. Yeah. That's nice. 
That's an oldie but a goodie. <laughs> All right. So, um, are you just capturing errors? Is it just unhandled errors that are getting pushed back? We're capturing multiple things. One is unhandled errors. We're also capturing um, um, telemetry about the device itself, uh, how many times a specific routine is being called, and what feature areas of the application they're using. Okay. So, which is I find really interesting, just this idea of how are people actually using your app. And I, I know we haven't spent a lot of time on the app, but how complex is this app? It sounds almost like a dashboard, essentially, of showing where things are at. Correct. The app is really mo- looking at the modern UI or the, the modern Windows experience where we have live tiles that summarize uh, the incidences that are assigned to an individual. Right, because everybody's on WinPhone, so you have that live tile. So is each person who s- deals with incidences actually running, just looking at their own stuff coming in? They're looking at their own stuff plus other things that they're responsible for. So they may have, say it's a Tier 1 service engineer, which we call it at the very top level. They give visibility to their stuff and the people that report up to them. Okay. And then, I mean, I don't know how high the tiers go internally. Do you have a Tier 3? Yes. Boy, it must be pretty bad to get to a Tier (laughs) 3. We don't want a Tier (laughs) 3. We want to get them closed beforehand. Yeah. Hopefully, we've got stuff handled. I don't know how far we want to dive into uh, how Microsoft does their own internal tech support. It sounds like a standard ITIL implementation. That's what's followed, for yeah, sure. Nice. And- okay, sorry. Did, we did a little IT geeking there, Carl. Yeah, that's all right. I'm- if you want to ITIL, go listen to Run As Radio. We talk about it over there. Right. So, uh, how many do we give any uh, statistics on how many devices are out there and how much data is going through this system? Uh, I'd say probably about a hundred devices. I don't have a, a good number on the number of data going through the system. Yeah, uh, it's very summarized in aggregate data. Yeah, then as necessary, the the service manager is able to drill down to get more details about the incidences. So, what was the um? What was the business benefit? I mean, to what were you doing before, and uh, how much did you speed up the process? Before, we didn't even have the mobile device. Yeah. Um, once we got that, again, we're freeing up the service managers to be have more flexibility in how they manage and work. Um, in terms of having preemptive in, we're able to see real-time any of the problems that are occurring on the device and start responding to them. And for response, it it gives us the power to work with the business and let them set priorities and help us triage what we need to fix. Mm. And we're also able to capture, again, if there's a problem that's related and an individual has, for instance, say four major incidences assigned to them, and they can't work with it because the app keeps crashing. So we have a special rule that was enabled through preemptive analytics that we can triage based on that. So we have when an unhandled exception comes in and say that service manager had five critical incidences, that uh, exception report that comes into TFS is flagged as critical. Right. 
Right, because now it's not just the app isn't working. It's that this guy can't do his job, and that's causing other people serious problems. Correct. So through preemptive, we're able to filter the the incidences or the exceptions coming in and act on those in an appropriate manner. Wow. So we have some Tier 1 and Tier 2 tech support for the Tier 1, Tier 2, and Tier 3 tech support guys. <laughs> We're going to have a little more recursion here before more the show is over, I'm yeah. pretty sure. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I guess this is any kind of, you've got a hundred thousand people working there. That, that, that's just a, every kind of tech support problem you can imagine. So you've basically allowed these guys now to be mobile, to be able, they don't, they used to have to stay at their desk to do their work. Yes. Very mobile and, and able to respond to things in real time. Right. Hate to keep bringing this up. Have you done any measurement or have any ideas about like how much your productivity has uh, jumped because of this app? For productivity, it, it's the productivity we're seeing is really driven back into the engineering process to modify the app. Before we engineering was typically in the dark of mm. what's actually behaving on the devices because we never closed the loop. Yeah. Right. Operations always could see something or would detect something when someone called and complained with an issue. Mm. Now, again, engineering is getting this information in real time. We're able to get that communicated out to business, triage the issues, and make a, a plan of action. Either it's a, a quick fix engineering uh, change of code mm. or a, a feature change based on how the uh, tool is being used. Wait a sec. These are tech support guys. These are guys that get people telling them their errors all the time. I would think they'd be very diligent about reporting errors they're having. Like, this is their business. How good are they at reporting errors? Because they obviously collect them all the time. It's their job. They collect them, and it, and it goes into a system, and they manage them. And it's typical in the in the world is it's like pulling teeth getting information back out of operations right this is where we're trying to go with uh the whole devops model right so you're doing the you're automating this process so that it's no longer the engineer's job to report what the error is it just feeds back automatically like you're just getting rid of they're taking them out of the loop entirely for that yeah, initial part of the process anyway Try to take people out of the loop entirely. So we're, we know before the customer, or in this case, the service manager calls for support for their, their, their application. Yeah, that's a very cool dynamic that by the time the guy actually calls to say the app's crashed, you've already gotten the report that it has crashed and what it is. Oh, yes. We've been waiting for you, <laughs> which is unlike the tech support that you get now, which is, uh, I'm sorry, what's your serial number again? What's your, you know, spend 20 minutes on the phone just explaining who you are. Right. Here's another scenario that we've got visibility to. So you have to log into your phone app. How many different logins do you have that you have to manage? Typically, I've got five myself right. that are easy that I have to do. So I may forget. I may put in the wrong password or whatnot. So I can't log into my app. I can't see my problems, the incidences I have to manage. So now I call tech support. I get a different guy or probably my buddy that is working on that shift for now. And then he has the visibility to say, oh, I have put in the wrong credentials or I can't log into the system. So now we've got 
proactive data to tell us exactly what's happening, that person calls, we can give them the solution to their problem right away. Because you already know what it is? Like basically, it's reported when the guy fails his login, you get that information sent to you. We get that information sent to us, correct. Do you really want that to show up in TFS? We don't see the passwords. We can see the exception or the error, the application right. error that happens. It says login failure. Okay. So you were describing earlier this feedback loop through preemptive. It actually generates that as a login failure as a TFS work item? That's a rule that we've developed with preemptive that looks at the data that's collected. Yeah. And we are able to categorize that. So it's an application business error or exception. Right. And preemptive has actually instrumented that to report that out. Mm-hmm. And we collect it, and we can actually see how many times that is actually happening. Cool. I love that. I just don't know that I want to be – I don't know that I want my tech support guys for the tech support guys to uh, to be in studio for that. It's awesome and creepy. But are you actually reporting it in a different way? Like, how does how does that error message surface? Is it coming to a console or something other than than inside of TFS? So the operations engineers will see it differently. Okay. The engineering team that writes the application sees all that information aggregated as TFS work items. Right. And I guess there's something useful about seeing that people are failing to log in a lot in terms of maybe I need to improve this feature. Right. And this is where it goes back to we have a conversation with a business or even our UI designer. Yeah. Say, hey, we got a problem here. We're seeing some type of behavior. How do we address it? Yeah, I would think that's the difficult challenge there, isn't it? You know, you have a stream of data. Now, how do we interpret that in terms of what's actually going on with our app? Are there any tools that you can use to look into the data analytically? Or is it just the kind of thing where you can watch it happen in real time and sort of come to conclusions naturally? (laughs) Great question. And and that's another strong point of uh, preemptive analytics. This goes back to drive on the analytical side where we can do a lot of deep uh, analysis on the data that's coming in, do what-if scenarios, and really drill into and study and understand the data that's being collected. Whereas the other half of it is how do we quickly respond and manage problems that are occurring. The analytics piece is really driving at understand app usage and behaviors. So you do have the kind of things you can, can you set up alerts and things on the, uh, on your, on your side that says, you know, uh, if a certain amount of, I don't know, frequency of, of, navigation goes too high, you know, that they're searching for something that they can't find. Can you sort of, you know, set those limits ahead of time? Yes, that's all customizable through a a preemptive analytics rule or their rules engine. So we can create a rule and change how we monitor or look at the information. And the key benefit out of that is we do not have to re-instrument the application. We do not have to redeploy the application. Once it's instrumented, we can develop all the rules we need or change how we're looking at usage and behavior and all the information in terms of how it's presented and TFS for the exceptions or the data that we're actually interested in from an engineering aspect. Okay. So how long has this been going on now, David? How long have you been using preemptive? 
We have been running this pilot now with them for about two months on this application. Hmm. That I mean, that seems like only time for a couple of sprints. How, how many revs have you been able to make? It's, eh, we've had two revs of the app yep. in terms of getting feedback and making changes. Uh, that's why I use the example of the login. Right. Uh, able to get a, a UX experience change in there and improve that. So we, yeah, you got exactly that scenario. Of, this is not an issue that ever would have surfaced through traditional bug reporting. Correct. Or how often, or you really typically have to really frustrate somebody before they pick up the phone and complain. Yeah, yeah. And it, especially right. when you talk about a login problem, that's the kind of thing where it's like, it must be me. I'm just klutzing out on this. Like actually knowing that it's a UI issue, having the overall, I like the overall aggregate numbers. It's just because you're counting everybody, you really know how often this is happening. It's not just one individual. Correct. Yeah, that's. I, I think that's really cool. There's that that idea that instrument everybody. Hey, Richard, you know what time it is? Oh, it must be that happy time again. Time to give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection to a lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Awesome. But first, I have a message from Telerik. If you're using Microsoft TFS and looking for ways to make your development process more agile, try Telerik's Agile Project Management Solution, Team Pulse. Team Pulse comes with a rich set of features for data intelligence, capturing of stakeholder feedback, as well as complete tracking of work items. Team Pulse can be easily added on top of any TFS environment, including TFS versions 08, 2010, and 2012. The tool even comes with a TFS wizard that will allow non-technical users to set the whole thing up in seconds. If you want to improve the way you work, try Telerik's Team Pulse now at bit.ly slash teampulse for TFS, or just go to telerik.com and click on Team Pulse. And when you talk to them, tell them thanks so much for supporting .NET Rocks. Absolutely. So who's our winner today? Our winner today is Rodney G. Davies from Horsley, New South Wales. Ooh, an Australian. Congratulations, Rodney. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. Absolutely. And he's going to be getting uh, the Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection. That's everything that they do in one box. And uh, it's a $2,000 value. If you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff link. And uh, you, too, can be a member of the fan club. We have thousands of members. Every every show, we give away a, a DevCraft Complete Collection. And every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology to a lucky member. Just and ask Rod Corbett, who got himself an awesome Win8 development uh, desktop system with a touchscreen, excessive amounts of horsepower, and coolness. And a Connect for Windows and a copy of Gesture Pack as well. So, uh... We like to ask our guests if you had $5,000, David, to spend on technology for your personal use, not for work, what would you do? What would you buy? What would I buy? $5,000 for technology. Oh, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, that wouldn't buy what I wanted. <laughs> oh. <laughs> not even a down payment? What do you want? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> My hobby is photography. Uh. Um so I'm interested in a phase one medium format bag that would run about 80,000. Oh, ho, ho, ho. you have an expensive hobby, sir. I could buy a high end car or a camera bag. <laughs> there you go. But you know, five grand will get you a mighty nice lens. Yes, it would. I could actually use that. Yeah. I, I, I'm not a serious photographer. I have a good SLR body, not a great one. And, uh, every so often you start looking at those hot, low F stop, 
big glass lenses. Like, ooh, yummy. Yeah. No kidding. Cool stuff. You know, we just started talking talking about preemptive here without really explaining anything about where it comes from and so forth. Uh, I presume you're using Studio 2012, David? Yes, we are. Visual Studio 2012. So as I understand it, the analytics package is in the box. Like, it comes with Visual Studio. Yes, it does. And and that's another, I I guess, strong selling point for us when when we went to go consider preemptive. Mm Mm-hmm. It just doesn't install by default. You have to go in and install it yourself to, to, to have it show up there. But it is actually in the box. Now, there is a commercial version. Did you guys upgrade to that, or are you using the free one? We are using the commercial version. And what uh, was the difference? The commercial version is allowing us to custom tailor the exceptions that we're monitoring and collecting. Okay. The free version is purely just for unhandled exceptions. Right. And with the commercial version, we're able to customize the rules and filter the information in a much better way. Okay. So you can go, you can actually make this whole thing work with the free edition and and look at the data. It's only after you've got that up and running that you may want to start tuning things that you might have to look at the commercial edition. Correct. And I don't, can we get into pricing? I, I don't know what deal you guys made. You are Microsoft after all. Uh, I will leave the pricing discussion up for the folks that want to contact preemptive. Okay. Yeah. It's not just not that simple a thing to buy, is it? Right. It, it, the pricing is is based on how many developers will be using it to do the instrumentation. Right. How many users of TFS? What? What? Um. So where if you can use the full preemptive service. So that's another great thing if you're running purely external and you don't have very specific um, IT constraints on where the, some data is stored. Preemptive offers a complete service where all the data is pushed out to their service, right. their offering, where we chose we need to have it secured and hosted in a, in a manner that applies to Microsoft IT policies. Sure, yeah. It's a it's an internal app with internal data, so you want to keep it internal. Correct. So you sort of have a choice of running it either way. Now, I seem to recall back in the early days of Windows Phone, didn't Microsoft actually provide copies of Preemptive for Windows Phone for all the phone developers? I don't know if that's still going on. I'm not aware of of what the status of that is. Yeah, that's a while ago. That's uh, back in the Brandon Watson days. Right. Way back when I, I presume it's expired now. That that was an Probably. interesting time because it's very hard to instrument a phone app. Like that's just not a trivial thing to do. Phones only have so much resources. You can't just load more programs onto them. This whole idea of integrating into your app, I think, seems to me to be the only way to make it work. Well, and typically people bolt that into the their service calls. You know, the the sort of the payload data that comes along with it. You know, information about what's going on at the client, but directly. Directly instrumenting the client side is difficult. Absolutely. Was difficult. Was difficult. <laughs> so uh, can you walk us through this process? Did you have the app up and running before you added preemptive, or was it something you started from the very beginning? The app was completely developed before we started looking at preemptive. Interesting. So, what And what got you going on that, getting preemptive into the equation? How we were able to look at collecting information off the device. So just like I've spoken before, one of you mentioned that it's difficult to instrument a phone app. 
Yeah. And if you need the, the data or the metadata, you have to build that into your service layer. Right. So that is a huge impact on your service layer in terms of design and or performance. So, yeah, so the fact that you could slide this in without uh, having to significantly redevelop the app. Correct. And as we did that, and that was one of the key asks from the engineering team when we when I first approached them with this, the idea of doing this, is they, they're on a strict schedule. They're tasked with developing business capability and delivering on that business capability. Right. Throwing instrumentation into the picture is just another task for them to do or perceived task that's taken away possibly from business delivery or capabilities. So this was really a freebie for the engineering team. Yeah. Well, isn't that always the argument? Do I spend time doing this or building more features? Do they have uh, client support for iOS and Android? Yes. Preemptive will work on either of those. Huh. That's cool. Yeah. It will work on Win8RT. It works with JavaScript. So uh, you have an app. Now you have to install it and do all that. What were your options there for installation of the app? Okay. So since we were in Microsoft and we had to follow some complex data requirements and securing that data, we were minimizing choices of where we could send the, the, the data around the exceptions that were caught. So we had on-premise choice, or we had off-premise out on the extranet, which would require us a significant amount of work to get up and running, hmm. to get exceptions and whatnot. So the third option was setting up a SQL server out in the cloud using Azure. And we leveraged the, the Azure IaaS service, brought up a VM, and installed the preemptive analytics uh, collector out there on Azure. With that, that enabled all the phone devices to easily connect, no matter where they're at in the world, no matter what network they're on, and reach out to Azure and push that information out there. Because you're Microsoft, is being on Azure still effectively internal? For us, the way we did it, no. It's an actual real-live Azure instance. Right. So you're out on the public Internet, effectively, to do that. Correct. Okay. I think it's, a, it's just a bit of confusion there around, could you have used another cloud provider? Presumably you could, although obviously it makes sense to use Azure. Serious I dog fooding. I'm betting you got a fairly good deal, too. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got a SQL Azure instance to, to store the data, and then you did you use a VM instance to run the collector, or is that a web role? Where does that live? So it is actually a, a VM instance. Okay. And then once we had the, the VM instance created in Azure, we were able to install SQL Server 2012, mm -hmm. set up the security and how we wanted to manage it. Right. And that is where the uh, collector goes for preemptive. Okay. And does that actually provide all the reporting services and, and, and the like as well? Or is the, you have to build your own client? How do you look at that data? The reporting service is another aspect of preemptive that you would install, the mm -hmm. reporting server. And, and again, there's flexibility of how that fits into your overall architecture and design. So we could put that up into Azure if we wanted to. We could actually put it up on-premise within the, the internal corporate network. Right. Yeah, it's just another piece and you run it where you want to. And like you said, you don't have to run these pieces. Preemptive guys will run it for you. 
but you wanted to have control over all of that. Correct. And you could run them on one machine or have them distributed. Right. To get to this, I mean, you're only running 100 phones. That's not an epic number. But if it was 100,000 phones, I think you'd want to scale the back end a fair bit. I, yes, I would say it depends on, again, how much data that we're pushing and where it would fall over. And again, a benefit of where we went to Azure is how do we expand the service? Right to other applications within Microsoft IT. Do you have a sense of how much data each phone is generating? I do not, but we can easily collect it and look at the database. We have monitoring on the database right. that looks at the, its growth and availability, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I guess that's an important... In the end, this is not what the app is supposed to be doing. It's sort of residual of what the app's actually doing. Right, but we could turn on... Um, instrumentation initially that would collect more data so we get better data or telemetry about app usage. Right. So we're just starting to discover how we want to use this and its benefits. Yeah, I guess you could trade, especially when you're dealing with, if, if they're all on campus, they're all on the Wi-Fi anyway, so it's not like you care about how much data you're moving. It's not that expensive. Right. And once, once you're over the 3G network, now you're paying by the byte depending on your deal you've got with your carrier, and I would be more careful about that. Although, it's not like these are movies either. It's not going to be that much data. It's extremely small data. So I'm looking at right now, I just switched into uh, the data that's collected, Mm -hmm. and for a complete aggregate over a session, it is less than 1 KB. Less than a kilobyte? Yes. (laughs) All right. Well, that even in Canada, that's only three cents for over the three G network, and we're being charged outrageous rates. <laughs> so packet sizes are pretty small. It's, yeah, right. it's really interesting to think about just how much information you want to get uh, about how people are using your app. I mean, are there, do you see features just not being used, or are features being used more than you thought? Right now, we're not. We're not collecting enough of that information or have enough usage yet to make those decisions. It's still new. It's still getting people to actually uh, use the app itself and having faith and trust into it. So it's an adoption thing that we're going to go and monitor over time. Oh, yeah. How many people ultimately see using this app? I guess that really speaks to how many IT folks have you got in there supporting uh, Microsoft employees? But we could easily expand the usage to every service manager. Right. But we could also extend, again, not just to this app, other critical line of business apps within Microsoft IT. Mm -hmm. So for even like time off and reporting, um, invoicing, et cetera, all these things that we do by putting onto devices and freeing people up when they interact and being able to collect this information. So, Carl. Yeah, Richard. You ever embed Excel into an application? Ugh. You know, that's right up there with sticking ice picks in my ears. Nice. Because your end users have to have the right version of Office and all that stuff. Yeah. And it has that extra layer of dependency. What I want is just a way to take all that Excel goodness and plop it right into my .NET application. Well, you reminded me of Farpoint Spread from the old days. Yeah, 20 years ago I used Farpoint Spread. But now, of course, it's Component1Spread.net. And now, you know, they have this version that's both for ASP.net and for Windows Forms in one package. Nice. 
Yeah, it's two different controls, obviously, but it's in one package. So you bought one, you bought the other. Right. Spread.net from Component One. Smarter components for smarter developers. Have you seen anything uh, that you didn't expect to see in the data? Uh, was so I don't want to really go bash the engineering team because it's what I we've seen too is um, better ways or information that we can actually improve our engineering process. So we're seeing data where we're getting uncaught exceptions where we might want to actually catch exceptions. Right. So we're getting the opportunity, as I'd say, in the in the DevOps model, is do some learn, and how we actually improve the the design and the coding of the application. Yeah. Well, you know, it's tough. You don't want to just write a blanket error handler and catch everything either. It's tough to know what errors are going to occur and what you should be catching. So yeah. in some ways, I'm excited that you have this instrumentation that you're able to see what errors are actually occurring. And I, do you, do you also have the issue of uh, if you deploy this to people who are going to use it differently than the current set of people do now, do you want to have a different stream of telemetry from their apps as you do from different types of users? And can you differentiate like that based on the user? Yes, we can. Um, so that, that is enabling us, or we can, or I foresee us, the, the ability to use some of the same rules over each app, so we don't have to recreate or change a rule. Plus, we can fine-tune a new rule specifically for that app. So the telemetry differentiates by app, and, and it's easy enough to identify in Visual Studio. But not by user. Like, if you had a user that was in a different role, maybe, uh, you, you might want to provide a different, in, you know, follow a different rule than another user. That would depend, I, I'd really say, on the design of the application. So if it was a role-based or is following an RBAC model, yes, we could absolutely do that. So you can set different instrumentation rules for the same app, different people? Yes. Okay, that's cool. That I mean, is cool. Yeah, especially when you started, you've got new folks coming in. I would almost think like nov- new guys coming in, you'd want to instrument them more or see where they're struggling. Ah, okay. Here's a here's a obvious question we missed. Is there any performance downside to tacking on the analytics stuff to your app? versus not. That was the primary concern pushback that I got from our operations team and the engineering team. And working with the preemptive folks and the demonstrations they gave and the description of the technology and through the pilot, we do not see any impact in terms of the mobile app performance. Wow. And none? And none. Wow. In fact, it, it's designed, the way it works is uh, the collection service or preemptive itself will fail before the app fails. So, yeah, I mean, because some would be okay. Like, this seems like a worthwhile thing to, you know, have a 10% overhead, but you haven't been able to measure one. We have not gotten have not gotten any negative feedback in terms of that. Right. Um, and I think the key is the technology of, of how preemptive is doing this. It's not a a code profiler, which you would get with typically with IntelliTrace or some right. of the other tool sets out there, which are much deeper levels of instrumentation. Like then you're capturing every single method. You said you didn't get any bad reports, but you're you're not really measuring it. Like, have you done any performance tests? Performance tests, yes, and, and oh, you have. 
again, what people see with, and, and how we've done the performance testing, there's not a negative impact in the performance of the application. Wow. That's so cool. Well, when you look at it, you're you're explicitly telling it what to instrument when you go through that instrumentation process. Right. The other tools or profiler tools, it's it's a fire hose. Mm. It's an all or nothing. It's very difficult to tune. Yeah. Where the the preemptive on the instrumentation, you only get what you ask for. Although. Yeah, I guess that the, if you're just capturing errors, it's not going to be as much as like every method call. When you initially set this thing up, I would think, do you, do you get too little data or too much? Out of the box, you get nothing. <laughs> so, so you, you attach, you get unhandled exceptions, you learn something and you think about it. You, you may set some, um, Additional instrumentation, I want to measure a business process that's embedded within the application. Right. So that's an outside method that is calling several pieces. So it's a whole learning process and getting, one, the business to think about things differently and how they can collect invaluable usage data on how the tool is being used and where to invest in features or not to invest in features. And then it's an engineering growth opportunity to get in and think about uh, the specific areas in terms of code that is important to measure an instrument. Now, I imagine you have a backlog of features to build for this app still. Would I be right? Yes. So how many of those features are just stuff you planned on building and how many of them are coming from this feedback loop? I don't have a good handle on that information. Uh, okay. I do know like two features were changed and modified because of the feedback loop. Right. And the the other pieces are more going back into engineering on how we can uh, modify the code sum around our exception handling and exception management. Yeah, so this sort of is overarching thing of let's do exception management differently. And then there's, well, like you talked about the story of the login thing. I don't imagine that was a feature in the first place, changing the logins uh, mechanism until you see the messages coming and see, okay, well, people are clearly struggling with login. Maybe we need to make this better. Right. That was totally unplanned. Yeah, that's cool. And I, I just can't imagine how many of those there actually are. But it's not like this feedback loop is going to dictate all features going forward. It doesn't capture wishes. Right. So it's, I imagine the wish list still wins, but I, and it really exciting to me is that you know you have this thing on your wish list, but its specs, its definitions are going to change based on the feedback you get. That's really kind of neat. Well, beyond that too, though, is the business is getting visibility into the behavior of their app, right? Which which is giving them information where they're better able to make informed decisions on how they want to invest in features or making that trade off. Typically, we have a defect. You you triage the defect, the sign of the severity, but the business is usually going to push, I need this feature capability more. But now we can educate everyone in the whole engineering process of what the impact of a defect is. Because we understand what it's, it's impacting in terms right. of business capability. Uh, so the business is able to tune that and make a better decision saying, oh, we need to invest in actually fixing this, this problem versus implementing this new feature. Yeah, I, I guess you could now actually get as far as getting down to this bug has delayed 
this much support. You know, you were you mentioned this earlier yeah. about you know this guy's got several criticals he's working on, but his app keeps crashing. How much time did that add to actually resolving the the problems that he was trying to deal with? Right, and that goes back to cost savings. Yeah, and prioritization. Like, just you really know what to prioritize now. Absolutely, and we're learning every time more and more as more data comes in and the more usage comes in. So, where do you see this app going inside Microsoft? You've, you said that uh, you, the possibility is there for it to expand, but uh, how far do you see it going? That would be up to the business. I don't have a good idea of where it's going to go in terms of future development and scope and change, but I do see more adoption across other line of business applications. It sounds like the engineering team was somewhat resistant to this at the beginning. Have they changed their minds? They are singing the praises. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, you know, isn't this the, the truth? You, you throw your software over the wall to the users, and you only occasionally hear complaints. To actually see that people are using your app has got to be pretty exciting. Very exciting. And, and back to the engineering team. They're excited to see how people are using it and, and giving the opportunity to make improvements and not have a, a huge impact on what they have to do to get this going and to deliver. Yeah, again, we didn't ask this question up front, but how long did it take you to get it up and running? From You already had a working app. You know, How much time was there to add this feature and to start getting some feedback? The longest part took was software installation, and that <laughs> was... Uh, for getting a, an Azure subscription, getting the VM set up, getting SQL installed, and then the preemptive software installed, I would say in a day's time. Wow. And that, that, that's, that's a generous, lengthy thing. Really, the investment is maybe four hours to get everything plugged in and operating. That's pretty spectacular. And you already own it. It's in the box. It's in the box. That... That is, I, no, I don't know how other people are managing their team foundation server instances. We didn't even need to have to engage with folks to that own the, our centrally managed team foundation server instance yeah. because preemptive is in the box. That incident work item was already there, ready, waiting for us to start using it and to activate it. That's a show, guys, I think. There's not much more praise we can put on this thing. People need to instrument more apps. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to do it preemptive, but the whole idea of we need this feedback loop all the time, I think, is the biggest message. Yeah. David, thank you very much for joining us. All right. This was fun. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.com.
.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC Yes, I'm a, a toy boy Life is hard